I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. A man made out of tears. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and Hello, welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots, and guess who's back, 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 back again, <laughs> again, again, <laughs> Mark Stay's back. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Mark Stay, hello. Hello, thank you for having me back, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure and an honour, as always. It's our pleasure, isn't it, Stephen Murray, Dr. Yeah, Stephen Murray? very much so. <laughs> so, exciting times, because ten years ago, when you were a wee slip of a lad, Mm. Mark Stay, you wrote a a film featuring robots called Robot Overlords. I did, and yeah. it's its birthday. So sort of soon. We started shooting ten years ago, and I keep a diary, so I've been going back to my diary and I've been blogging about it as well. I'm putting putting it up in a kind of warts and all, what was I thinking kind of way sometimes, and uh, and going back and seeing it all unfold. I was very excited. Very, very excited. My first film and also first chance to get to write a book as well because I did the book of the film as well. And um, it's great looking back at that plucky little 40-year-old and what he was getting up to. <laughs> just, to, I just wanted to just give some context of what was going on in the world in 2013 just so we can all, like, place ourselves. Mm-hmm. So Daft Punk, here you Daft Punk, were racing up the charts with... Get lucky. There was the horse meat scandal uh, going around the UK. And after doing unexpectedly well at the local elections, uh, UKIP leader Nigel Farage claimed the results signified a sea change in British politics. Ha! What a fool. Whatever happened to him? (laughs) (laughs) Just just going back to Daft Punk for a second. because back then, I can't do it now, but back then I used to write to playlists because I was usually writing on my commute into work and anything to block out the sound. And Daft Punk's soundtrack to the second Tron movie was what I used when writing Robot Overlords, that kind of oh my you know, God. fantastic cinematic electronica fueled Robot Overlords. So, And I, I never saw the film until years later. So when I was watching Tron 2 with that soundtrack, it was like... But that's the soundtrack to my book, you know. So it was kind of kind of weird seeing it back. Tell us how it sort of started, Robot Overlords. You you wrote the screenplay with the film's director, didn't you? Is it yeah, Joe Wright? Dra- John Wright. John Wright. John Wright. There's, there's there's Joe Wright, Edgar Wright, John Wright. None of them are related, right. as far as I know. Uh, and John, uh, we've been working together for quite some time, working all sorts of different ideas. Uh, as is the way with certainly with British filmmakers, coming up with lots of ideas, writing lots of stuff for free that never got made. <laughs> And um, we, he came to me one day and he said, I've had this idea. And he didn't have any children at the time. He's got a son now. He said, I had this dream where I was stuck inside with my son and there was a robot outside. And it warned us that if we set foot outside, it would vaporize us. And he was like, there's something in that. There's something in that. So we started brainstorming ideas and we wanted to make the kind of film that we'd loved watching as kids, those kind of ambling movies and stand by me where you've got a bunch of quite lippy kids uh going on an adventure kids that felt kind of real we wanted kids that 
that went to our kids' schools kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. Totally agree with you. Um, now, Mark, before we go any further, can you give us a little synopsis of the plot of Robot Overlords, please? So Robot Overlords is set in a world where we've been invaded by robots. Everyone is confined to their homes and the robots have one rule. Stay inside. If you step outside, you get one warning and then whoosh, you're vaporised. And the story focuses on uh, Sean, who is a young man who is convinced that his father, who is an RAF pilot fighting against the robots during the invasion, he's convinced his father is still alive. And he and a gang of friends discover something that makes them think his dad's still alive and they break the curfew and go looking for him. And along the way, they uncover the conspiracy of of how and why the robots are here. We took it to a producer called Piers Tempest, who had produced John's previous film, Grabbers. And Piers snapped it up and he took it to the BFI. And I think the BFI at the time were going through a period where they were thought to be a wee bit elitist and they wanted to do something a bit commercial. And this Mm. felt commercial to them. So they started paying for uh, us to write a draft of the script. They started paying for concept artists. uh, Money started coming in for... Uh, we did a, a visual effects concept uh, shoot, which was done by uh, Paddy Eason, who was our visual effects supervisor, just of a robot walking down a, a London street and raising its weapon at the screen just to say to people, look, this looks ambitious, but we can do this. And they they let us do it. We, we started working on the script and it was it was just so much fun putting this together and working out this whole world and the the logistics of it and in particular the robots and one of the things I was looking at for this recording I was just going back and looking at old notes and all the robots and the kind of thinking behind them and the ones that fell by the wayside there were all these kind of robots that we never used in the end it was huge fun I was pinching myself all the way through frankly <laughs> did it feel like you'd won the lottery till the very end until sadly it <laughs> As is, as is a, you know, as is becoming uh, seemingly a trope of my film life, it fell on its ass at the last hurdle. But, it was, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's ten years on now, and yeah. uh, out there are a bunch of ten-year-olds now hitting their late teens and twenties who hopefully might remember it fondly. Well, there's yeah. a couple of yeah, films that were that released forward, in you know, 2014 yeah, that you were up against: Interstellar. Ex Machina. To say we were up against them suggests we'd have got some kind of release, which wasn't really the case. We, because we were a BFI film, uh, we I think we were obliged to have a theatrical release. So the release was a strange one in that it was exclusive to View Cinemas and View Cinemas showed it when nothing else was on. So it was either on at 8 in the morning or 11 at night. It was just the right. most bizarre thing. And that was it was out there for about a week. So if you saw it in the cinema, you were doing very, very well. Yeah. So essentially it went just, straight to DVD. You know. I should just say that it is now available on Amazon Prime and so people can, can go and see this relatively easily. And I would say please do because it is, I think, a great film. Oh, I watched you. it yesterday and I just loved it. And I'm, yeah. I'm just going to say I'm you know, a man of a certain did, age so I don't mince my words because I haven't got much time left. And, uh, and I did enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder where that was going. Yeah, exactly. Listening to you about the distribution, <laughs> but, I, it didn't flop. It just wasn't pushed. Yeah, well, Can yeah. you remember, Mark, at the time, like how into robots were you? Were you a fan of robots? Yeah, I mean, this was we we wanted to see robots in action in a on on our streets. It was it was kind of fulfilling a dream. The the things we didn't like were the fact that 
robots had terrible aim. Robots were kind of dumb and clunky. Robots were easily, you know, thwarted. And we thought, actually, let's. What can we do with that? What can we? And so we, you know, the film opens with someone getting vaporized. You get one warning, and boom, that's it. And we thought, mm. let's not muck around. Let's make these as, as scary and as inhuman as as possible. Yeah. And uh, set our stall out and, and try and have fun with those uh, and, and have some thought behind why they're here and what they're doing and the shape of them and the logic of them. And so, you know, our sentry robots, the design is you've got a tiny, tiny head, a small brain, but a big bulky body. So instinctively, you're thinking, this is a thug. This thing mm. is a thug, an unthinking bully that's just going to smite you as soon as it sees you. Um, the, the cubes are just, you know, the cubes are just giant batteries uh, that, uh, and everything ends up cube shape. Everything folds away into a cube shape as well. Yeah. You know, the, the drones are essentially just a wing with a gun. So we wanted to make them as simple and as functional as possible, uh, with the exception of the mediator, which is the one that creeps everyone out. Yeah, that's really creepy. I was, yeah. was wondering how how familiar you were before this with 1950s American <laughs> robot films. Only those I'd have seen on Channel 4, you know, yeah. uh, in that kind of tea time slot when they would show all those terrific uh, science fiction films from the 50s, you know, so... Um, the day the earth stood still, stuff like that. Yeah, know, those, those kind of classics. Not not the kind of ones that I, I've seen you digging into on the show, where you really have to <laughs> go well. to the dark depths of YouTube to find them. So, Steve, did it remind you of Kronos at all? Yeah, it did. Yeah, the big battery. Seen, the big yeah, have you seen Kronos? Clunking robot. Well, yeah. No, but I'm going to now. Tell You've me. You've got more. to see it. Um, so the design of the big battery robots in yours is is very reminiscent of the of these the Kronos yeah. robots, but also yeah. like the central theme as well that the robots have have conquered the Earth essentially because they they need to, they want to sort of like harvest our ideas and we're a sort of like a resource for them. Well, we always thought of them as data miners. You know, they were coming here and just scooping up information in much of the same way that, say, Google does. And, and in the way that artificial intelligence is doing right now, just gobbling up information. And then they will use it when they're fighting, you know, in another galaxy uh, and conquering another world. They'll, they'll use some piece of information uh, as part of their strategy to take over that world. So, you know, we, we were very much aware that data was kind of going to become a kind of a battlefield in, in the yeah. future. Because so, in Kronos, the aliens come down in their, their cuboid, uh, <laughs> cuboid robot ships to harvest our energy. They come. Right. They come for our. They they came for our electricity, <laughs> right? Excellent. So it's 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 got real parallels to that. So go and watch it. I can. I know a very uh, cheeky colorized version that we can send you. Oh yes, please. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, Stephen's currently still in hiding for, for his dark web. His dark dark web contacts. <laughs> I'm running one. out of Bitcoin. <laughs> But I, but it, what was fun as well was was so you, there is it feels like there are a lot of whether you knowingly did or not references to other robots throughout cinematic history with these and maybe that's unavoidable when you're making a robot film or maybe you did like the whole t the sort of the ten seconds you don't say ten seconds to comply but it feels like you really wanted to say ten seconds yeah. to comply yeah. ten seconds to comply yeah that's, yeah that's definitely an influence definitely. Yeah, who's one of one of our favorite favorite robots, the Robocop robot. 
But yes, the um, I've put down <laughs> in my notes for watching it. The first thing I've got is super creepy boy bot. Yes, <laughs> who is the the mediator? The mediator, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. tell us about the mediator. Well, the mediator came about because you know they're essentially the robots have have taken us over, but they're occup- they're an occupying force, and they come to us essentially. You know, okay, the war's ended. Let's be friends. And so, what they do is they send this mediator rope, and they've studied us. They studied us for decades before they invaded, and they know that we shrink away from big, burly robots with a tiny brain. You know that that scares us. But we we love children. You know, uh, we we react well around small children. So what they do is they create a series of robots called the mediators, which essentially look like small children. Uh, but they get it a little bit wrong. They don't quite think it through. And what they un- unwittingly do is sort of create robots that, that lean into that uncanny valley thing. So our actor, Craig Garner, he essentially had to keep his face completely still. And the VFX people did a thing where they, they made him unblinking. His skin didn't move. You know, there was no twitching. There's no heartbeat or anything like that. So mm. when you encounter Mediator 452, what's supposed to be a reassuring is incredibly creepy. Yeah. So we really re- re- wanted to have fun with just creeping people out with a child robot, which, you know, you watch a film like uh, Megan or whatever now, it's it's kind of a, a similar thing in that they they look sweet and adorable, but actually they're the stuff of nightmares. And um, yeah. writing the mediator's lines were some, some of the, my favourite ones. My name is Mediator 452. I have been carcass-built to liaise between the robot empire and the humans in this zone. Your cast was incredible. Yes, yeah, sterling. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we, we really lucked out. I think Sir Ben, as we had to call him, um, he I think he was the first to come on board and then Gillian. Uh, and that's, to be honest, that's when the serious money came in because once you've got a couple of stars like that, then um, it's uh, the funding, you know, really, really happens. And that was yeah. terrific. And our, our young cast were amazing. So, I mean, Callan is just, you know, this you know handsome, charismatic young hero. Ella... You know, feisty. You know, kind of uh, sister of uh, Nathan, played by James Tarp. He's really, really funny. The big yeah. star, though, I think, is Milo Parker, who was a, who was a, you know, I think it was his first film. Um, okay. But he's gone on to do like the Durrells, and he did Mr. Holmes as well. And he, he was just, you know, I think for me, he was probably the easiest character to write because he was basically my son. That character was basically, yeah. you know, uh, I was writing my son George at the time, and. Um, he and Connor, um, uh, Milo are quite similar. It was quite it was nice because we had a day on set and they met, and it was like the the real one meeting the the actor one. Um, right. One of my favourite actresses is also in it, um, Geraldine James. Geraldine oh, James. This is the bit in the film that's like EastEnders, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got Geraldine James on board because uh, John met with her and said that he remembers seeing her in Blot on the Landscape, and basically yes. said that it awakened his. Um, his sexual urges as a young man, <laughs> and she was wow. flattered by that, and she came on board. So uh, you know that's brilliant. Um, that is, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, maybe I'm a similar age to John. Well, I suppose we all are, aren't we? Well, yeah, apart yeah, from yeah. Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna nod off. <laughs> nod off in the corner. Oh, the Grandpa wonderful Roy Hood is in oh, this one. Yes. Yeah. 
Like, he wasn't yeah. was... your Bernard Cribbins, was he? Kind of, yeah, I suppose he was. I suppose <laughs> he was. And there was a lot more of him in the original script, but it kind of, you know, it got whittled away, sadly. He uh, has a great death, in fairness. He does have a very good death. Yeah. He starves yeah. to death on the floor. He does. <laughs> An old man starves to death in Mark Stone's screenplay. <laughs> Form an orderly queue, kids. <laughs> one, one other sort of thing I, I thought, just you saying that, reminded me um, of another connection, I think, to the 1950s robot films, which is... So first of all, you've got a, a really nice sequence at the beginning that really brings you up to speed with where we are so as you say so you can drop you can like give us action almost immediately and essentially it's it's saying that there there's been a like three years ago there was a robot war that lasted for 11 days robots came and and subjugated humanity in 11 days and they're still here and and then we're then we're into the action was that was it always the case that where you started was a starting point yeah, that was that was almost a selling point when we were pitching the film. We were saying, look, you've seen all this in other movies, the robot invasion, the thousands of, you know, aliens, fighter craft flying through the air, blasting things. And, and frankly, there was no way we could have shown that. We just wouldn't have the budget. But yeah, it was always going to be about the aftermath. Because again, you know, John and I grew up watching Threads and The Day After and When the Wind Blows, which is all, all post-apocalyptic stuff, yeah. you know. And that's always fascinated us and how people will survive and how people will endure. And uh, the, the idea of having a resistance and collaborators and neighbours turning on neighbours and, you know, that kind of thing was... It just felt a lot more interesting dramatically than another space battle that, on our budget, kind of wouldn't look good, you know? Yeah. Pacific um, Rim did the same in 2013. They went straight in to the yeah, aftermath. I guess so, yeah. I it, thought it was it, a good thing to do. I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, but it does it does connect it with there are some fifties films that do exactly that. There's a film called um, Tobor the Great that has that right. sort of exact sort of setup at the beginning where you sort of find out what's happened and then you're into the action. Uh, but the other thing as well that connects it is that a lot of the 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 fifties films are exactly the same running time as yours, like an hour and twenty minutes sort of thing. And I don't know if this is a product of being a kid's author. I find that I'm just cutting to the chase all the time in stories. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you yeah. are like we're literally within a minute of this film, you've vaporized a, <laughs> a dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, we're in then. Well, yeah. I thought that was great. Citizen, return to your home immediately. You have ten seconds to return to your home. This is your final warning. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, again, you know, we wanted to get kids on the hook. You know, you, you, we had advice. We had a sort of a brain trust of people who gave us advice on writing for kids. Uh, including um, Mark Huckabee and Nick Osler, who've written for things like The Moomins and and Peter Rabbit and stuff like that. And they, because we, there was a version, an early draft, where we had a few more kids, but we essentially killed them off in the first act, and we were down to two kids. And they said, "You've written a kids' film where you've committed infanticide in the first act. That's not that's yeah. not a good look. Stop being yeah. too clever. It's a kids' film. Make it for kids. Have the kids as the heroes." Which yeah. was uh, probably the best advice we got. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see. I that. was expecting one of the kids to die. They, the one of them usually one. did at, at one point, but in the end, we decided to let yeah. them all live. Yeah, merciful gods. Good. 
and it's available now on Amazon Prime. Oh yes, go see it. <laughs> Although probably that probably doesn't make any difference to you financially, does it? No. What makes what a difference it? is when it gets shown in like Poland and Germany and Spain, and that's quite. I make more money out of that than I did from the original film, I think. <laughs> oh, good. Well, we have got lots of international listeners. Excellent. Uh, so let's lobby lobby for a screening of Robot Overlords in your in your non-UK territory. <laughs> Has it broken okay. even? No. Funnily enough, I, do, I, I know this for a fact, because I, uh, I, I did get in touch with uh, my old agent who did the deal at the, at the time, because we, we had to take a massive pay cut just before the film went into production. One of our backers... Uh, didn't have the money they said they had and the whole thing was going to fall apart unless we all took a pay cut uh, which we did which we weren't terribly happy about but we were told but when it makes its money back you'll be quids in so I said uh, dropped a line to my old agent said it's 10 years later what do you think and she she asked the producers and they said no no chance now you could ask for an audit uh, but I I can't see how it has, to be honest, made its money back. So um, I doubt it very much. I doubt it very much, sadly. Because there's always this theory that no film, no film ever loses money. Maybe that was in the time of of like DVD sales. Yeah, the DVD era is very much over. We we sort of caught the tail end of it, and actually. Apparently, it did pretty well on DVD. We were sort of number one in various supermarkets and what have you for a short while. You wait the the upturn in sales after this, this after this, this podcast, podcast drops. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will be. Why were there so many that. northern accents in it? Ben Kingsley had a really thick Yorkshire accent. Yes, you're an angel, Kate, but you, you know you don't need to shoulder the burden. We have homes for orphan children, good homes. People and he told me he based that on an old teacher of his because he's um he grew up in Yorkshire, I think near Skipton, and he sort of based it on an old geography teacher, right? Uh, Did he? That's so funny because yeah. Ben Kingsley's yeah. character is horrible. Oh, he's uh, terrific in it, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. Uh, I thought there was going to be a redemption and at some point, nah, blow him up. His death was very satisfying. It was very satisfying, yeah. I did enjoy that. The only thing that would have made it more satisfying would have been if um, Scully had killed him. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that would have. But she couldn't really, could she? Couldn't get blood on her. Kids film. Nice. Kids, kids film. Kids film. Absolutely. Kids film. Yeah. Can we have a little chat about the hierarchy of robots in Robot Overlords? Mm, Just yeah. like how it, how you went about. You have you've spoken about it a little bit, but the different because there are lots of different sorts of robots. There's there's a scene where Geraldine James shouts the name of it, and it, she says it's like a clacker or something. A clanker. Yeah. Clanker. Which, the names given to the robots are not names they've given themselves. So when people talk about, oh, it's a sentry, it's a cube, it's a drone, the, uh, these are the names that we humans have given to the robots. The only one that really has a name is the mediator, which is mediator four five two. You know, in the next town there'll be a mediator four five three. You know, so they are the mediators are very much the face of the robot empire, the friendly face of the robot <laughs> empire. But the others are all kind of functional. So the cube is a battery, the sentries are the muscle, the drones hunt people down. We had other ones as well. We had a sort of a speeder one that was essentially just a giant wheel. We did we wrote a chase scene where the kids were in an ice cream truck being chased by a speeder through the streets, which is I just loved, and it got cut for budget reasons because it was just right. so expensive. Yeah. Um, but it would have been a shame because it would have been playing Popeye the Sailor Man while they were having laser blasts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were trying to evade the speeder. There, was, uh, there were the sniper ones that were essentially spiders with a gun, 
and those are the ones that you know they don't really miss they they get you in their sights and they'll, they'll blast you so we wanted to make them scary in a way that a lot of robots aren't because you know they always miss the mark or whatever at the at the end of the film a spoiler alert the the robots are defeated hmm. and there's a and again, I, I'm trying to think, well, I might have merged this now with Kronos, the film. But is there a sense that the aliens could return? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there leaving was... It, leaving it open for the sequel. Yeah, which was probably a mistake. Producers were getting very <laughs> excited at the end. They're saying, oh, it could be a sequel, could be a TV show, could be this, could be that. So we did did leave the door open for, for them to return. If you go on IMDb, there is something called Robot Warlords, which is apparently a sequel. Ain't happening. <laughs> it's still well, you've there. been cut out there, haven't you? <laughs> you know, it was it was really really good fun to make. It was a dream come true. There are a couple. We spent a couple of days at Pinewood, which was just you know amazing. We did um, we did a first test there, and we did a pickup the day of pickups there as well. Just to be in Pinewood shooting a film was a real pinch me moment. Uh, and I got published out of it. I got my first book out of it, which again was amazing. So it was a big big turning point in my life it's not a perfect film you know i would i write the same today probably not probably be very different but it changed my life and i'll always be grateful for it and like i said i i blog about it uh i'm going back to my diaries from 10 years ago so as each day comes along i will put a blog piece up about it and sort of chart how it all came about so um if you really want to know the ins and outs there is also in the back of the book there are my shoot diaries so you know while we were shooting my diaries are in there there's a bit of a making of kind of vibe to it as well so it's um yeah it's uh it's a strange film which i seem to have a habit of making that doesn't necessarily fit into any kind of neat slot uh, but um, we had fun making it, and uh, you know, people seem to well, like it. We had fun watching it. Thank you so it much. Was, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, really enjoyed it. So, what stuff have you got going on at the moment? What can we direct people towards, Mark? Well, I've got a book series called The Witches of Woodville, which is a bit different. Uh, it's set in 1940 on the home front with magic and the occult and folk horror and also, you know, rationing and all that stuff going on, the Battle of Britain going on overhead. And um, I've got three books in that series, starting with The Crow Folk, and a fourth is coming in September. Uh, I've got a horror film out called Unwelcome, which is about a couple who have a terrible experience in London, move to a remote house in Ireland, and at the bottom of the garden is a hole in the wall where you leave an offering for the red caps. And if you miss a day, things go horribly, horribly wrong. And guess what? They miss a day and things go horribly, horribly wrong. Brilliant. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast, Mark. My it's been pleasure. lovely to chat to you again. My and, pleasure. Um, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. We will be back uh, for another podcast next week Stephen what film are we going to be looking at it's Invasion of the Neptune Man it's another Japanese film but this time it's not from Toho it's from Toei so we've had Venus we've had we've had robots from Venus or robots yeah. on Venus in this uh, in this season and now we're going to Neptune yeah another another impossible planet it's just gas <laughs> it's not the only thing that's all called gas is it <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you if you fancy watching along and then joining us for Professor Murray's lecture on invasion from the men from what's it called? <laughs> invasion <laughs> of the Neptune men. <laughs> yeah, if you fancy joining us for that, well, we will be back in your luggles in about a week's time. Unless, of course, you're listening to this in the year three thousand, in which case 
who knows? We will see you then. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. I have been purpose-built to liaise between the robot empire and the humans in this zone.